Hi everyone, I'm Madden. And I'm Zoe. And this is the Unnamed O Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be diving into the story of an elderly woman who was found brutally murdered in 1984. This is the story of the woman by the road. Alright, normally I would say this later in the episode, but I'm going to say it right off the bat this time. If you google this case, you will see postmortem images. They are on most websites associated with this case, and on a majority of the websites, you will not receive any form of warning before you see the photos. Additionally, if you just type this case into Google, the images will pull up at the top of your Google page with no warning which I feel like is really kind of wrong because no one has consented to seeing those photos and shouldn't be subjected to them without a warning. But that's another matter. The internet is a terrible place sometimes. I just wanted to say this really early in the episode because these pictures are quite graphic. As you will hear throughout this episode, this Jane Doe died as a result of blunt force trauma. So the photos are very gruesome. Please be careful if you decide to research this case. Now, Without further ado, let's get into it. On May 4th, 1984, three teenagers were driving near the town of Westby, Wisconsin, between 11.15 p.m. and 11.30, as the teenagers rode in their car down Old Line Road. They discovered the body of a woman lying on the side of the road. Where exactly is Westby, Wisconsin? Is it near a big city, or is it just kind of a rural area? Westby itself seems like a pretty small town, and this was outside of Westby, so it was in the country. But Westby is kind of on the western side of Wisconsin, near the border of Minnesota and Iowa. Okay, gotcha. Now, even though the teenagers discovered the body between 11.15 and 11.30 p.m., the sheriff wouldn't arrive to the scene of the crime until 11.50 p.m. But even before the sheriff got to the crime scene, it was clear that the teenagers had stumbled upon a horrific scene. The victim had been brutally bludgeoned to death and her hands were missing, as the killer had severed them at the victim's wrists. Based on the way the victim was found laying on the roadside, it was also evident that the killer had made no attempt to hide the body. This is brutal. Very brutal. The first thing that struck me is her hands were missing, so the murderer did not want her to be identified. This was in 84, right? Yes. He or she was thinking, no fingerprints, no way to tie back. Exactly, because fingerprint technology was the best way to identify these victims at the time. And without fingerprints, a lot of people were saying this was quote-unquote the perfect crime. So she was also bludgeoned badly. Right. How were her teeth? How were her dentals? Because I know a lot of times in bludgeonings and blunt force trauma to the head, it usually messes up dentals. Did that happen in this case too? We'll get into it later, but she actually had a full set of dentures. And so they were a little more durable than real teeth might have been. Okay. They were fractured, but we do have dental records. Okay, okay, okay. And also, as a quick note, the hands have never been recovered. I can't get over the brutality of this crime. It's an absolutely brutal crime. I can't imagine those three teenagers finding this. I can't imagine anyone finding this scene, but I am from a rural area. On a night off, when you just want to hang out with friends, you just go driving in the country. That's just what you do. And I can't imagine 
finding something like this. When the sheriff did arrive at the scene at 11.50... Is there a reason you keep mentioning the 11.50? No, there's no reason. I'm just like to give you a really clear timeline. Okay, gotcha. Because the timing is kind of important. Okay. And so I'm just... So I need to pay attention a little bit. A little bit, but I feel like I am jumping back and forth between the teenagers finding it and the sheriff arriving. So I just wanted to make it clear that now we're ahead in time at 11.50. And I also, just as a side note here again, I don't think there's any reason that it took the sheriff. Yeah, that's... You know, a little bit to get there. It's just a really rural area. Yeah, I was going to say the rural area, that makes sense to me. Like, it takes time. This was the 80s, so it takes time to get somewhere to call and then once you call then it's still takes time to get a hold of everybody you've got to get a hold of like that didn't surprise me or anything I just w- was wondering why you've mentioned it a couple times and that makes sense so I'll pay attention yeah. to the timeline yep I'm just keeping you all oriented but when the sheriff arrived at the crime scene he noticed a few things right away the Jane Doe had clearly been murdered somewhere else and dumped where she was found her missing hands were nowhere to be found and like I said have still never been recovered The sheriff's deputy also noticed tire tracks in the gravel near the victim. The tire tracks were fresh and they were hastily made. To the sheriff, the tracks indicated that someone had made a speedy U-turn to get away from the crime scene. Probably the killer, right? Is that what we're assuming? Yeah, they're they're assuming that the killer made a U-turn. I don't think they're assuming that the teenagers turned around. Okay, gotcha. Both the fact that the Jane Doe had been killed somewhere else and dumped on Old Line Road, as well as the fact that a car had clearly been the mode of transportation used to dump the body, led police to search for witnesses who may have seen suspicious cars in the area. Makes sense. Yeah. The murder was reported on local news stations, and investigators hunched that someone might have seen a car in the area panned out. A couple came forward as witnesses. Like a couple, like a... Like a couple, like okay. romantic couple. Okay. Not like a couple of people. Okay. I mean, there were two of them. But it was but like they a were romantic together. couple. Yeah, yeah, they were okay. together. They had seen the report about the homicide in the news and realized that they might have seen something important. On the night of May 4th, the night that the body was found, around 9.45, this is where the timeline comes back in. Okay. Around 9.45, less than a couple hours before the body was discovered... The couple had seen a parked car somewhere in the general vicinity of where the body was found. This is a tight timeline. Mm-hmm, it really is. The car they had seen was a bright yellow, two-door, compact car, and there was a man outside of the car. They had seen the man walking around the car towards the driver's side door, and he was walking from the passenger side door. So they saw him at the passenger side and watched him walk around to the driver's side. Did they see him get in his trunk or anything? No, they just saw him walking around his car to the driver's side. Okay. A lot of sources say that this car may have been a 1982 Datsun, although it's not completely confirmed. So, Zoe, here is a picture of a yellow two-door compact 1982 Datsun. Okay. I'm going to describe the car first, and then I'm going to let you guys in on some Zoe lore. That is relevant. It's very relevant. You just got to bear with me for it. Okay, but... This car is very compact. It's really small. Obviously, it's only two doors, so there's no back doors. Is there a trunk? I don't uh, know. If maybe. I don't know. It would know. be really small because it's compact. So even though it's two doors, it looks like there's a back seat, I think. Maybe. Maybe I'm making stuff up. It definitely has that very 80s vibe. Everything from the 80s is very distinctive, like the hair, the clothes. The cars. The cars. It's got a black stripe down the side. That kind of like is a big 
triangle, kind of. I don't know. It gets wider as you move towards the back of the car. (laughs) That's how to describe that. (laughs) It's got a really hefty bumper on the front and back. It might just be the color, but it reminds me of a taxi. It does. The color, and it has bright red taillights on the back. Okay, so now I got to give you a little bit of Zoe lore. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. So my mom, when I was a kid, had a bright yellow car. And I think like everybody knew her based on her car because it was bright yellow. And then when I got a little older, she got another car. It was like a lemon lime color. Like it was a weird color. But everybody knew my mom because of her car colors. Like they were so distinctive. And this is a pretty rural area, you said. And I grew up in a slightly less rural area, but I grew up in still like small town mentality. And everybody knew my mom, I feel like. But did somebody recognize this car as somebody in towns? No, they didn't. That's so weird. Well, we'll get into this too, but I think most people think that the Jane Doe and or her killer were from out of town. Okay, that makes sense. Because not only was this car not from around town, but investigators searched thousands and thousands of vehicle records in the state of Wisconsin to find a match for this car, but they didn't find anything. Are you meaning that they searched like the license plate number? Well, we don't have a license plate number. Okay. Just the car description. Okay, gotcha. So they searched all Wisconsin vehicle records that match this description. Okay, that makes sense. I'm with you now. And then they also searched the manufacturing archives, but they didn't get anywhere there either. Okay. So it seems like this car is not on any sort of records in Wisconsin, but that doesn't mean it's not registered in a different state. Yeah, I was going to ask, were they able to look at surrounding states? You said it's pretty close to the Iowa-Minnesota border. Did it look at any of those states? Eventually, they tried to expand the investigation into Minnesota and Iowa, but I don't think that they searched cars in those states because there was a big push online of people saying, like, why aren't we searching for those cars? Okay, that makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but whatever. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay, so to go back to the couple that came forward as witnesses, when investigators searched the area where the witnesses had seen the car, because remember, it was not where they had found the body. The car was seen by the couple at a different location, and then the body was found at a different location. Yeah, but it was the same general area. Same general area. Yeah. Within a few miles-ish, I think. Okay, a few miles. Gotcha. Like, I don't know how many miles, but... Yeah, no. Pretty close. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So when they searched the scene where the car was, they found a piece of a fractured denture, some blood, and a man's Seiko watch. The watch band had been separated from the watch on one side. The watch was model 86200019, and interestingly, it also had a serial number, 5498. Okay, so they should be able to track that down to where the manufacturer sent that to be sold and then potentially who bought that, right? You would think, but nothing came out of the watch. Huh. Like they weren't able to take that any further. Weird. I don't know why. Okay. I personally went down a bit of a rabbit hole here, just researching Seiko brand watches. So here's what I found out. Seiko is a Japanese company There's actually this guy online who runs an entire website dedicated to everything Seiko watches, and he had the full 1984 Seiko watch catalog on his website. So naturally, I looked through it, but 
it was in Japanese. So it wasn't too helpful in my research because I don't know Japanese. So next, I just Googled the watch and the model number and I was able to find the exact model of the watch for sale on eBay. I did check the serial number because I was like, what if this is just the same serial number? Wouldn't that be crazy? It wasn't, obviously. That's an evidence somewhere. Anyway, I'm not sure how expensive the watch would have been at the time, but it was listed on eBay for $150. Here's a picture of the model of the watch found at the crime scene. Okay, so this kind of looks like a watch that your grandparents would wear. Not specifically your grandparents, but like my granddad, I feel like had a watch, probably my grandmom too, but it's got like that metal chain. You know what I'm talking about if you know what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. You get your little arm hairs pinched in and it's so annoying. Oh my god, yes. Because of the so metal annoying. wristband. Yes. It just pinches your skin yes. and your hair. It's so annoying. I don't know who designed that. The watch face is pretty standard. It's just got lines at every hour. And it's got a minute and an hour hand. It's gold. And yeah, it just looks like a vintage watch. Like there's nothing super, super weird about it no i don't think it looks like a luxury watch no but it looks like a nice watch yeah moving on from the watch it was pretty clear to investigators from the jump that this was another crime scene and it didn't take long for them to come up with a working theory about what happened police theorized based on the tire tracks present at this second scene and the evidence present at the second scene that the suspect had pulled his car off of us highway 14 in an attempt to dump the body So they think where the watch was found was the initial place that the killer tried to dump the body. Yeah. Okay. They think he pulled off of Highway 14 to try to dump the body there, but they think he was interrupted by the couple that later came forward as witnesses. And whenever they got there or drove by, he got spooked, decided to drive away and find somewhere else to dump the body. Okay. Evidently, he left rather quickly because his tires spun and he left more marks on the ground. He then drove south until he reached Old Line Road. He drove west on Old Line Road for about three miles, and then he left the body on the side of the road, made the U-turn, and left more tire tracks in the ground, and we know that's where the teenagers found the body. Okay. But I don't think police think she was killed at either of these sites. Right. But the first one was a potential dump site, and then he got interrupted and he moved to the second dump site. Now, let's get back to the items at the crime scene that was discovered second, which if you remember were a man's watch, a piece of a denture, and some blood. Police were able to connect this scene to the location where the body was found without a doubt because of the piece of the denture on the ground. Okay. At the crime scene where the body was found, there was a set of full dentures near Jane Doe. They weren't in her mouth anymore, but they were near her, and they were definitely hers. Okay. And it was clear that the fractured piece of denture where the car was seen had come from the same dentures found with the Jane Doe. So there's no denying that these two locations are connected. No. And I don't know if they've ever tested the blood. This was before DNA testing, but they probably could go back now and test the blood found at the scene and make sure. But I don't think there's any doubt that they're connected. Yeah, no. Because I wondered in the beginning, like, how are they making sure that this car is actually connected? But the evidence is Mm -hmm. pretty damning. Which then brings us to the items found at the crime scene with the body. Let's start with the dentures. They were a full set of dentures with sets of numbers written on them. On the tissue side of the upper denture, the number 420 or 4-20 was inscribed with some type of, quote, burr tip instrument, end quote. 
I googled this because I didn't know what a burr tip instrument was. I found some pictures though and I'm going to let Zoe describe them to you all. Okay, this just looks like a little tool because it is. So you have a picture of what looks like bits that you can put into the actual tool and the tool kind of looks like a little mini screwdriver. But I think it's mechanized. Yeah. Right? I would think it would have to be, maybe. Have you ever seen someone get like acrylic nails put on and they have that like drill bit that files down the nails electronically? It looks like a really miniature version of that. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. But it looks like it would function kind of the same as a like a little mini drill, but like a screwdriver. It looks more like a screwdriver, but it probably functions more like a little mini drill. But I think it's used to carve letters into stuff. Yeah, no, 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 no. Not I to know. drill through. That's what I was oh, getting I didn't up even, on. Oh, I didn't even realize I was saying a drill and drills drill through things. <laughs> yeah. Because the best I could think of describing it was a drill bit, but it's not a drill bit because it doesn't go through. It's used to inscribe letters. Yeah, well, now I think we've made what we were thinking clear, right? I guess. Hopefully that was clear. Listeners, if we sucked at that, let us know. Or don't. That might make us cry. Okay, is this number on the denture, is that a serial number or a patient number or something? Something identifiable? I don't know what that number was. There were two numbers found. We haven't gotten to the second one yet. Okay. Actually, neither of these numbers have ever been able to be tracked to anyone or anything. Yay. Like these dentures, even though they have serial numbers on them, have led nowhere. Same with the watch. Really weird. Yeah. So like I was saying, the number 289 was also found on the upper dentures, except instead of being inscribed, it was actually written in raised lettering. And this is on the same part of the denture. Like it's the same upper part of the denture. Yeah, they were both on the upper denture. Okay. According to the Doe Network, this number, the 289 one, was likely done at the dental laboratory wherever her dentures were first made. I do want to note here, though, that there's some disagreement online about what the numbers on the dentures actually say, but we'll post the pictures so you can look at them and decide what you think. Two of the teeth in the dentures were missing, but investigators weren't able to determine if the two teeth were missing as a result of her homicide. I'm assuming that they never found the teeth. No, I don't think they ever recovered those. The Doe Network also said that the Jane Doe apparently had poor dental hygiene. That's just a little note for you. Zoe, here's a picture of the numbers that were found on the dentures. Okay, the first picture is of that 420 number. But what's really strange is the two and the zero look very similar, but that four doesn't match the style of the others. The bottom of the four has like a little dash. I don't know. It's not as straight and structured as the two and the zero are. It's more loosey-goosey for lack of a better term. It is a curved surface, so that could have something to do with it. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I think this probably is 420, like 420, not 4-20. I could see 4-20 though because the the part of the four that goes towards the right side of the page is really long. I never draw the tails on my fours that long. I know, but it's not centered between the four Mm. and the two. And it's touching the four. Yeah. It just looks like a really weird four. It's weird. The four does not look like it had been there. I don't know, it looked like it was an afterthought. I'm sure it wasn't, it's just weird. It's very weird. Okay, and we know that this other number is 289. 
That's what most sources say, like the Doe Network, but I guess some people read that as a P instead of a nine, which I don't think makes sense unless my image is mirrored somehow, but I don't think it is. No, I- People just think, think that this numbering could be different. I think it says 289. I think it says 289 or Z89. Yeah, because the two does not look the same. The main difference between this number and the other number is the 289 number looks like handwriting, whereas the 420 number looks mechanical, kind of like a typewriter. I know it wasn't a typewriter, but like, I don't know why I'm using the word typewriter. We're in the 21st century. (laughs) Um, Wow. (laughs) It just, the 420 looks like something printed, not handwritten, and the other number is just handwritten is what I think. I think it's 289, but I think it could also be Z89. And then the last picture you have for me is just a top view of the denture, and it just looks like normal dentures to me. There were also clothes found at the scene on Jane Doe's body. So the dentures were found near the body, the clothes were found on the body. She was wearing a brown, tan, black, and turquoise plaid coat. The coat was three-quarter length, and its lining was pink or purple. Jane Doe was also wearing a black and blue paisley print dress and size 8.5 tan loafer shoes. The Toe Network describes her dress as white, but I'm not sure why because there are pictures of it and it's clearly black. I'll let you guys be the judge of that, but I think it's clearly black. Weird. The Doe Network also lists a turtleneck and nylon stockings as being present at the scene, but Namus doesn't, so that's a little strange. I don't understand. All this Namus and Doe Network miscommunication. I'm going to get on a soapbox really quick because I don't understand it. How are people supposed to look at this information and get a general understanding of a case if everything is different? I understand we're not investigators. We don't have to be doing what we're doing, but we do this because we want to bring awareness to these cases, even if we're not solving them. I get that law enforcement probably is not looking at the Doe Network or NamUs 24-7. And I don't look at them 24-7. I use them for research, but I don't understand how there's just so much discrepancy. I'm sorry. I'm going off, but we've seen this in the past several cases we've been working on, and I'm just confused. NamUs, Doe Network, you guys are great, but I want to know what's going on. Can we have some cohesion? Well, I'm off my soapbox. Well, and this is only going to get weirder, Because other sources I saw, like ABC 15 News, agreed with the Doe Network and wrote that Jane Doe was found wearing everything I just described, as well as the light blue turtleneck under her dress and the nylon stockings. But in the reconstructions that have been done on the Jane Doe, she's never pictured wearing the turtleneck. So I don't know. I don't know what she was wearing. How are people looking for a lost loved one supposed to look at some of this information like on databases? And know that it's their loved one if it's being reported weirdly in all different places. And I'm not saying that people who are missing a loved one are like looking at NamUs and the Doe Network or anything like that. But I'm sure some people maybe do. Like, I just, I'll get off my soapbox. I already said I was off of it. Now I'm really off of it. I, we still love the work that NamUs and the Doe Network do. I'm just confused and I'm letting everybody know my frustrations, which is not a healthy coping strategy. (laughs) Well, from what I can tell, the only clothes we have actual pictures of are the coat, the dress, and the shoes. So I guess that's another mystery. Where's the turtleneck? I don't know. I don't know why this is happening, but 
Here are the pictures of the coat, the dress, and the shoes. Zoe, take a look. Okay, the coat. Let's start with the coat. It kind of reminds me of Taylor Swift's Evermore mm, album. I could see that. It's just, it kind of looks trench coaty. Did you say it was a trench coat or anything? Three quarter length. Okay, three quarter length coat. It looks kind of battered. Like, is that holes in it? It looks like holes. I don't know if that was there or if it was a result of her homicide. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, it looks like it's like a turquoise, orange, brown, and yellowish plaid. I can only see the back, so I don't know what the front looks like. But it just looks like a pretty typical 80s three-quarter length coat. Yeah. And the dress is black with paisleys on it. It looks very straight. There doesn't look like there's any shape to it. It has kind of a v-neck, but it looks like the v-neck is front and back. It's got cap sleeves. Yeah, it looks pretty long. Probably somewhere mid-calf area. It's definitely below the knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shoe is a very loafer style shoe. It's a loafer. It's a loafer. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. If you don't know what a loafer is, check out our Instagram or our website to see the picture. It's is like a brown leather it has like a reddish tint to it it looks like there's some wearing on the toe mm-hmm. and maybe some wearing on the back that could just be the picture being weird but yeah it just looks like a very typical loafer in addition to the clothes we just saw both namus and the doe network also have pictures of the buttons that were on her clothes although neither of those sources goes into the significance of the buttons However, other sources say that the buttons were unique and also had unique stitching patterns. So I guess that's why they're pictured. Here's some pictures of them if you want to look. Okay, the first button you've got for me looks like a pretty normal button. It's pretty big. It's got four holes. It looks like it has a pretty thick border. I can't really tell what color it is. It kind of looks like maybe it's partially clear, but it's really hard to tell. It looks like the picture was taken with it in a bag. I think it's probably in an evidence bag. Probably, but I can't tell what color it is. And there's two of the other buttons, and they have a unique swirl pattern on them. Like there's a solid color, like it looks like a light blue color to me, but it's hard to tell the color because it's in a bag again, and the lighting's weird. But it looks like a light blue to me. There's a light blue border, and then there's a ring that has lines in it but they're like slanted lines but not like typical slanted lines like they look a little drunk like they're falling like (laughs) i am going off the rails with this description i'm not doing a very good job we're just gonna move from that then there's a solid blue like that light blue circle in the middle and then it looks like there's just one hole to put the button on which i don't understand how that works i don't understand how that works either it could be the button might have like the back like a backing yeah Yeah. it might have a backing and that's just like a dot in the center or it could be two really small holes something that i also saw on a few sources was that it was possible that her clothes may have been handmade but that wasn't confirmed anywhere there's also one more interesting thing about her clothes all of the tags had been cut out okay that's interesting and all but I cut the tags out of my clothes a lot of times. I also cut the tags out of my clothes. I hate tags. I don't like tags. So that's interesting and all, but I don't know if that would have been done to like prevent identification unless she had her initials on it. I don't know. It's really unknown if the killer cut the tags out to avoid identification of the Jane Doe. That's what a lot of people online think. Or if the clothes were handmade. 
I sew clothes, but I don't sew tags into my handmade clothes. Yeah, that's fair. Or possibly the tags had been cut out before her death. We do. Like we just mentioned, we cut our tags out. I don't know. Lots of possibilities there, but it was worth mentioning. Yeah, because anything's possible, I guess. The killer went to a lot of extremes to make sure she couldn't be identified, but also her clothes were found on her body, right? Yeah. The killer would have had to go to a lot of extremes, just like in the act of killing, to be like, oh, I gotta cut off the tags, but I'm not gonna take off her clothes. He left the dentures behind, too. Yeah. So, like, that's a possible identification as well, so... I don't know. The hands just seem so extreme that part of me questions, why wouldn't he get the tags out if he's willing to go to that yeah, length? but he left the dentures. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know. Maybe he was just like, fingerprints would be the easiest thing to identify, so that's what I'll take. To move on from that, though, now that we've talked about the clothing and the personal items found at the two crime scenes, I'm going to take you through what we know about Jane Doe so far. When Jane Doe was originally discovered, she had a recognizable face. It was estimated that she had only been deceased 24 to 48 hours before she was found. Even though she was recognizable, her face was quite swollen due to the immense amount of trauma her skull and face suffered before her death. During the autopsy, it was determined that Jane Doe's cause of death had been blunt force trauma, which had left Jane Doe with a broken jaw and eye socket. There was also some sharp force trauma to the left side of her head, sort of near her left ear, although I wasn't able to find what sort of instrument had caused that trauma. So we're thinking she was bludgeoned and possibly stabbed or something like that? Possibly. Most sources just mention the blunt force trauma. Right. But I saw the sharp force trauma on at least one source. I don't know. Okay. Weird. This is pretty self-explanatory, but just as a quick reference, blunt force trauma is trauma caused by blunt objects like hammers, bats, fists, etc., while sharp force trauma is caused by something with a cutting edge or a pointed end, like a knife or a screwdriver or something similar. During the physical examination of Jane Doe, investigators theorized that she was a white woman who was likely 50 to 63 years old, according to NamUs, although the Doe Network lists her as possibly 50 to 65. She was 5'5 to 5'6 and around 150 pounds. She had blue eyes and hair that was tinted brown, with gray streaks near her temples. It's reported that she might have also permed her hair shortly before her death, and she also had O-positive blood. Zoe, here are a few reconstructions of Jane Doe. They were done by three separate artists, so you'll be able to see a pretty distinct difference in both style and the overall reconstruction in each one. So the first one, which is probably the oldest one, is just like a forensic sketch. Her nose looks like it's kind of crooked. She looks very old in this picture, or this sketch. She doesn't look like 50. Like, I feel like she looks more like 70s, but maybe that's just my bias coming through. I don't know. She just looks old in that. Her face looks very swollen, which makes me think that this could be based off of the postmortem images. That's the other thing about these is they're based off the postmortem images, but her face was so swollen that I don't think this is actually what her face looked like. Okay. I don't really have much to say about that first one, except that I don't know. It's not the best. No. This second one, though, is really interesting. You've got a close-up of the woman's face and, like, a full body rendering that has her clothes on, which is interesting. I don't think we've ever seen a full body reconstruction. No. I think it's really interesting. I guess we were wrong when we said the dress was, like, 
middle calf because this is like pulling like right below her knee it looks like Mm -hmm. so we might have been wrong about that she doesn't have the turtleneck or the pantyhose on no so i don't know what that's she also doesn't have that jacket on that we oh yeah no she doesn't yeah so the artist picked and chose what to put on there but this one looks more realistic and looks very very different than the first one like her face is more square kind of the hair is totally different in all of these. I don't understand because they had her remains, so you should be able to tell what her hairstyle, like the length, but they're yeah. totally different lengths in all of these pictures. Yeah, because the first one, it looks like her hair is pretty long. Is I it? mean, it, it's pulled back. Like I, it looks like, To yeah. me, it looks like it's pulled back. I can't say that it's like super long or anything, but I'm just picturing it being longer. And the second one, she's got the typical old lady church haircut where her hair is just really short. I think I can see some of that gray hair that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, The wrinkles are really pronounced. Her eyebrows are really, really thin. Her eyes are more sunken. She just looks like an old lady in this one. She looks more about that 50s to 65 range. I was going to ask you how old you thought she looked in that one. I think she definitely looks 50 to 65. I think she looks like 60 or 65 in that one. I think she looks like 70 in the first one and then like 60 or 65 in the second one. Yeah. She looks more like she's in the age range, this one. Yeah. And this last one looks completely different yet again. I don't see any resemblance between any of these three. I don't feel like. The second and third one are the closest. Anyway, this third reconstruction has bangs of some kind. The gray hair is coming from the roots on top of her head, not just on the sides. Because you said it was just on the sides, right? Like by the temples. Yeah. Yeah, That's not what's going on in this picture. I think she still has that dress on. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Her hair looks like a medium length in this one. Her face is more square looking, if that makes sense. I think she looks a lot younger in this one. I think like 52. That's my guess. (laughs) 52, exactly. It's really specific, but that's what I'm feeling. She's probably more in her 50s. So the only thing that is kind of consistent in all of these photos is the noses. And the first one, the nose just doesn't look the same to me. But I think that's just because this is, this first reconstruction is just not that great. That's all I got to say about that. All right, well, here's something else that's really interesting that was uncovered about Jane Doe. She had a four and three quarter inch abdominal surgical scar along her midline. She also had long toenails that appear to have been left untrimmed for a considerable amount of time. What do we know about that scar? Well, since it's a midline scar, it's going to be a vertical scar that goes up and down the abdomen. I'm making a lot of hand signals. (laughs) Anyway... So, probably not a C-section then, though. I don't those know. Are, I think those, those are usually are horizontal Horizontal. Scar. Yeah. I think those are below belly button. I saw someone online saying that in the past, it was not uncommon for C-sections to be done with a vertical cut, but I didn't research that. I don't know if that's true. So, I don't even know how much weight to give that. So, really, we're just speculating about what the scar could yeah, be Yeah, nowhere actually says. Okay. It could be gallbladder surgery. It could be an appendectomy. I assume not. That's a big scar for an appendectomy. But it could be a lot of things. We just don't know. I also saw some theories online about her toenails that I think actually made a lot of sense that I didn't think of. 
Some Reddit users suggested that perhaps since she was older, she might have had mobility issues that made reaching slash trimming her toenails painful or even impossible. That makes sense. I wonder if she had any signs of arthritis or anything. Well, I thought that in the reconstruction of her standing up, she has a really hunched back. Yeah, but that could possibly just be the artist thinking, yeah, this is what an old person looks like. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know. I don't know if she had arthritis or not. I think it's a fair assessment, and I think it's very possible. I just, I don't know. I wonder. According to the Doe Network, investigators don't believe that Jane Doe was a local or native to the Vernon County area. Investigators have followed over 400 leads in this case, but they've hit a dead end every single time. In 2012, investigators made a big push in the case to gain publicity and share the case with surrounding states. They really wanted to reach areas of Minnesota and Wisconsin that could be easily accessed by Highway 14, which is the road I mentioned earlier that the car was suspected to have driven on. Eventually, the Vernon County Jane Doe was laid to rest in Viroqua Cemetery. She has a gravestone that reads, quote, Jane Doe, May 4th, 1984, end quote. So was she laid to rest before... The big push in 2012 or after? I'm not sure when exactly she was buried. I didn't find a date, but the sources I found listed her burial after they listed the push for other states to learn about the case, so that's where I put it. Okay. On August 12, 2015, Jane Doe was exhumed and sent to Madison, Wisconsin for further testing. The crime lab in Madison extracted DNA and the body was returned and buried the very next day. Whoa, that's fast. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, oh my God, they literally exhumed her on the 12th, sent her to Madison, Wisconsin, got DNA, and then she was reburied by August 13th. That's actually insane. After the Madison Crime Lab extracted DNA, the DNA was sent to the University of North Texas. In December 2015, the latest facial reconstruction was released, which I already showed you. Okay, so do you think there's a chance that they made that latest reconstruction based on her skull? Well, we know they made it after the exhumation. So it could have been something with DNA, like some sort of Parabon-esque sort of thing. Yeah. Or it could have just been the skull. I don't know. Or it could have been neither. In May 2018, there was a new lead in the case. Jane Doe's clothes were sent to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection in Chicago, For a type of testing we're now very familiar with, forensic pollen testing, or forensic palynology, as you might remember from our episode about Margaret Federoff. According to ABC 15 News, the pollen testing indicated that she was likely from, quote, an urban area in the semi-arid highlands or lowest elevation zone of the temperate Sierra, found in Arizona or New Mexico, end quote. I wish I knew what combination of pollen investigators found, because as you probably gathered last time, I did a deep dive into pollen testing. I'm kind of obsessed with it. But unfortunately, sources only say that she was likely from Arizona or New Mexico. The latest update in this case came May 5th, 2019. The DNA Doe Project made an announcement on their website that they would be taking up the Jane Doe's case. I don't think that we've ever explained in depth what the DNA Doe Project is or what it does, so I wanted to do a bit of a deep dive for you here. The DNA Doe Project is a nonprofit organization that was formed to help identify John and Jane Doe's. The DNA Doe Project uses forensic genealogy to identify unidentified remains, and it was founded in 2017 by Colleen Fitzpatrick and Margaret Press. Fitzpatrick has a doctorate in physics and used to work as a nuclear physicist with NASA and the U.S. Department of Defense. 
She also founded Identifinders, which was an organization that tried to identify male killers in unsolved homicides by using Y-chromosomal testing. Interesting. She's been around the block and done quite a bit of things. She seems really cool. Yeah. Press is a writer who also has a background in computer programming. She began working in genetic genealogy in 2007 to help people find their relatives. Then, after reading Sue Grafton's novel Q is for Corey, which was a story about a Jane Doe, Press decided that she wanted to use genetic genealogy to identify unknown victims. In 2017, Fitzpatrick and Press started the DNA Doe Project. They work with law enforcement to build family trees in GEDmatch for unidentified victims. In March of 2018, they made their first solve. They had solved a case known formerly as the Buckskin Girl, who they identified as Marcia Lenore Sossaman. We'll probably do an episode about this case in the future if you guys ever want to hear about it. As of 2021, the DNA Doe Project has helped identify over 50 people. Here are the steps that they go through to make the identifications. First, they collaborate with law enforcement to accept the case. Then they extract the DNA and raise funds for DNA sequencing. Once the DNA is sequenced, it is quote unquote translated into a digital file and uploaded to GEDmatch. Then genealogical analysis is done with GEDmatch, which is what leads them to a tentative identification. The tentative identification is verified by law enforcement either by getting a familial DNA sample or by fingerprints or dental records that they already had on file. This is obviously just a pretty brief overview of the DNA Doe Project, but they are an amazing nonprofit and they will definitely be one of the organizations we try to donate a portion of our profits to in the future. Now, here's the thing about the DNA Doe Project and this specific case. Even though they took on the case in 2019, as of June of this year, 2023, this Jane Doe's case was no longer being investigated by the DNA Doe Project. Hmm. I don't know why. But on the DNA Doe Project's website, it just says Jane Doe's case is, quote, being worked by another provider of investigative genetic genealogy, end quote. I don't know who's working on the case, but we know that there are quite a few organizations and companies that do this kind of work. But your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, that makes sense. So to get back to the investigation, it was Detective Jim Hansen who was originally called to the scene where Jane Doe was found. And as of 2012, when he was interviewed for a two-part segment on WKBT-TV called Catching Her Killer, Justice for Jane Doe, Hansen was retired but still investigating Jane Doe's case. Once a year, he goes to the cemetery and places those little solar-powered lawn lights into the ground near the graves of his parents, friends, and people he cares about. He always puts a light in the ground at Jane Doe's grave as well. He said in the interview that this was symbolic to him as kind of leaving the porch light on and letting his family and Jane Doe know that he's not forgotten about them. That's so sweet. Oh my gosh. Even though he retired in 2011, Hansen spends his days investigating Jane Doe's case. In the interview, he said that ever since he answered that call in 1984, a piece of him has belonged to this case and he won't rest until it's solved. As far as I know, he is still working on this case with the current investigators, but obviously that news interview was from over 10 years ago, so I'm not sure where he is today. Even though investigators are still fighting for this case to be solved, the last big update with the case was it being moved from the DNA Doe Project to a different genealogical organization. However, there are some theories out there about what might have happened to Jane Doe. One theory that seems pretty well agreed upon online is that Jane Doe was familiar with her killer. 
The main reason people think this is because it seems like the killer went to such great lengths to keep the Jane Doe from being identified, possibly so that it wouldn't be traced back to him. Bear in mind that nothing I'm about to tell you has been confirmed, so you know the drill, take it with a huge grain of salt. Once you dive into the theory, you'll find even more sub-theories within that theory. We're about to go down some deep rabbit holes here. The first theory you'll see a lot is that Jane Doe may have been a victim of domestic violence. If she was a victim of domestic violence and her abuser killed her, he would have known it would immediately be traced back to him, thus the great lengths he took to disguise her. That doesn't seem completely out of left field for me. No. The wild speculating comes when you dig deeper into that theory because there are people out there in the camp of she was 100% killed by her husband or no, it was her son that killed her or on and so forth and whatever. And it's like, I don't know where you're getting that from. It's one thing to say that she was a victim of domestic violence. That's a reasonable theory. But to say you know exactly who in her circle did it is another thing. That's what I thought. That's why I didn't even write that down because I'm like, you have no idea who would have done that in her circle. If investigators pigeonholed like that, they could possibly missing who actually murdered her. Yeah. Well, this is like a Reddit theory. So guys, if you didn't know, if you haven't done a lot of research on some of these cases, Reddit and Web Sleuths and all these true crime communities are amazing most of the time. But sometimes some of the things people throw out, it's like, oh, how? How did you jump from what you know about the case to this? Like, are you writing a novel and you're just putting out your ideas? And like, no hate. Like, I think that people are trying to do good, but sometimes it's like, whoa. We are all guilty of speculating wildly, but sometimes I'm like, how did you come up with this? Like, literally, are you writing a novel? And are you putting a chapter from your novel into this Reddit thread that you're trying to say is what happened to this doe? I'm sorry. I'm going to stop getting on soapboxes. I'm going to try. I, I'm so sorry. It's okay. You have the main theory, mm-hmm. and that's fine and well. And then you start to get into sub-theories, and some of those you're like, okay, okay, yeah, I guess I could see that. But then you get into sub-theories of the sub-theories, and they are wild. And we don't usually end up talking about the third-degree theories, like a theory of a theory of a theory. But yeah. here you got a sneak peek of one of those today. Anyway, let's move on to the next theory. Another theory is that possibly someone close to the Jane Doe was in the mafia and Jane Doe knew too much or saw something, so they murdered her and left her body. I told you these got a little wonky. The reason people think the mafia could be involved is because Jane Doe's hands were severed at her wrist and I guess to some people this indicated organized crime. I don't know how valid that assumption is because... There were definitely serial killers and murderers who did similar things, but were never associated with organized crime. I understand the logic because the cutting off the hand seems very methodical. And I feel like organized crime is typically a very methodical kill that you see repeated over and over. But just like you said, the same is true for murderers and serial killers. Like if you open the idea of organized crime being involved because of the severed wrists thing, and the strictness used in her killing. You have to open the door to serial killers and murderers, and then you're just back restarted. Did that make any sense? Yeah, it did. Okay. It's like, the mafia's a theory, but opening the door to the mafia opens the door 
and you just circle back exactly. to where you were. Exactly. So it's not really useful. This is also rural Wisconsin. Is there the mafia in rural Wisconsin? No, I guess there's the mafia everywhere, right? But oh god, I don't want to know that. I don't know. I, I feel like mafia is like omnipresent. Like it's oh just like it's there. No, I guess that's fair. I think it's definitely more common in big cities, but they don't think she was from rural Wisconsin. So I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Let's move to our third and final theory. This theory is that perhaps Jane Doe was a victim of caretaker neglect. She was an elderly woman, and the state of her toenails suggested that perhaps she had mobility issues, which means it's possible she may have needed a caretaker. Elder abuse is a huge issue, and according to the National Council on Aging, approximately 10% of all adults over 60 experience some form of elder abuse. Okay, I know that this is an issue, and I know that there's signs that this woman maybe had mobility issues but a caretaker going to such extremes that this crime has that's what i had a really hard time wrapping my head around i'm like okay we know that caretaker neglect and death happens for elderly people but it's not usually this brutal if she wasn't bludgeoned and beaten like she was but her hands were still cut off. I feel like I could give more weight to this because you cut off her hands so she can't be identified, so it can't be traced back to you. I get that. I mean, I don't get it because that's not the way that normal people function. Normal people don't murder people. But the brutality of this crime just doesn't seem to fit this for me. I don't know. I don't know either. Besides, the whole caretaker neglect thing kind of circles right back to the domestic abuse thing. Because it's kind of in the same domain, especially if her caretaker was a family member. Yeah. But I think it's the more unlikely theory, just because it's just so brutal. Yeah, I agree. At the end of the day, it's impossible to say what might have happened to this Jane Doe. I do think it's likely that she knew her killer, but we can't be 100% sure. As for the other theories, I'm not sure I think any of them hold much water, but that's just because we don't have the necessary information to start making those kinds of theories yet. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> Let's move on to some exclusions and some potential matches. This Jane Doe has been excluded from being eight missing people. Edril Pierce from California, Jesse Hoover from Maine, Audrey Backberg from Indiana, Mary Van Gilder from Ohio, Marie Jost from Wisconsin, Joan Skaggs from California, Edna Reynolds from New Mexico, and Joan Risch from Massachusetts. We have both DNA and those pretty distinctive dentures to match dentals with, so I'm guessing that's why a decent amount of exclusions have been made. To move on from the exclusions, though, I have four potential matches for you. But in most of these cases, there isn't much information available. While I'm telling you these matches, keep in mind what we know about the Vernon County Jane Doe. She may have spent time in Arizona or New Mexico. She was 50 to 65 years old. 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 6, 150-ish pounds, brown graying hair, blue eyes, and that distinctive 4 and 3 quarter inch abdominal surgical scar. Also keep in mind that Jane Doe was found May 4th, 1984, and had likely died 24 to 48 hours prior. Our first potential match is a woman named Oma Louise Boardman. There isn't much information about Oma out there, but here's what I could find from her NamUs profile. Oma was last seen on March 1st, 1984. She was a white, 52-year-old woman, 5'8", and around 200 pounds. Her short hair was a brownish-gray color. 
and Oma was last seen at Ted's Bar in Escondido, California. Nothing else is known about her circumstances of disappearance, but there is one thing about Oma that stands out to a lot of people online. She had a C-section scar on her abdomen. Yeah, okay. That a lot of women do. Yeah, I think they're just connecting abdomen scar to abdomen scar. Yeah. I think that the physical characteristics aren't a complete miss, though. No, no. I think it's a possibility. But, but... I, I don't think the C-section scar is like a slam dunk. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, like I said, that's all we know about Oma's case. So sadly, we have to move on to our next potential match that I've seen online. Our next potential match is a woman named Nan Cecile Dixon. I'm not sure that Nan is a great match, but since I've seen her name thrown out, I wanted to bring her up because I guess it's not impossible. It just seems improbable to me. Okay. When she went missing, she was 73 years old on September 22nd, 1978, which is obviously older than the Jane Doe was thought to be and a few years prior to Jane Doe's discovery. But as we know, the age estimate on Jane Doe was just that. It was an estimate based on how old investigators thought she looked. Right. And that first sketch made her look a lot older than she was. That's very true. Nan was 4'10 to 5 foot tall and weighed 110 to 120 pounds. I can definitely look past her being a little bit older, but the height and the weight seem pretty far off to me. Yeah. Yeah. An old woman is not going to grow like five or six inches in a matter of years. I don't think that's even possible. No, I mean, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Most older people shrink anyways. So. And she was a good 40 to 30 pounds lighter. Yeah. But weight can be misreported, as can height, so let's keep going and then you can let me know what you think. Right. Okay. Nan was last seen in Grass Valley, California, but she was leaving to visit family in Nevada about three hours away. However, she never arrived and her family reported her missing. In 1982, her car was found in a ravine. As a weird side note here, Nan actually drove a Datsun, but obviously since it was recovered in 1982, it wasn't the Datsun seen near Jane Doe's crime scene. So her car was found somewhere close to California in a ravine. Nevada. In Nevada. in Nevada. Okay, so where she was supposed to be. And this case is in Wisconsin. Right. So I'm having a little bit of hard time seeing this. I am too. I think people are connecting it because investigators think she could have spent time in the southwestern U.S. And so okay. they're like, okay, she was in California and Nevada, so that matches that lead. I think this case is making the evidence stretch pretty far yeah i do too nan had grayish reddish hair and she also had brown eyes while we know that jane doe's eyes were blue you're really losing me on how this could be a potential match i don't think it is i just saw it online like a decent amount and i didn't understand why so i brought it up I've seen people try to explain the eye color away by saying that sometimes eye color can change post-mortem, which is true. After someone dies, their eyes appear lighter because of a film that forms over the eyes. I don't think Nan is our Jane Doe because it seems really like people are trying too hard to make the evidence fit, and I don't think it does. I don't see it. I just really don't. The location, Nan's description, I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. And since I really, really don't think this is our Jane Doe, I'm not going to dive into all the details of her case, but let me tell you, Nan's case is absolutely wild. And if you want to hear about her case, it's going to be one of our next full-length Patreon episodes. 
All right, let's move on to our third potential match from online communities. This is a woman named Marion Henrietta Bowers. Marion went missing on December 12th, 1984, when she was 83 years old. Yes, you heard me right. She was reported to have gone missing December 12th, 1984, which was over six months after our Jane Doe was found. So she literally cannot be Jane Doe. Hold on, you haven't heard how Reddit tries to explain this away yet. Well, Reddit's wrong. She can't be Jane Doe if she was not reported missing. I don't think she's our Jane Doe. I'm just bringing you the theories that are online because you'll encounter them when you're researching. And I didn't want you guys to research and be like, well, she didn't mention any of this. Here you go. Let's hear out the Redditors for a minute. So people online think that Marion's circumstances of disappearance are really, really fishy and that she could have gone missing much sooner than December. But of course, that's just some wild speculation. So let's get into what was reported about her case. Listeners, I wish you could see the facial expressions I'm making because they're a little dramatic. She's very skeptical, as am I. Marion was 5'2", 120 pounds, and she went missing from Tucson, Arizona. She also had a full set of upper and lower dentures. I think the reason people latch onto this case as a possibility, completely ignoring the timeline, is just the fact that she was from Arizona, which is where Jane Doe was likely from, and the fact that she wore dentures, just like Jane Doe. That is not enough to make a connection, though, in my head. It's not enough to make a connection, especially when the timeline is literally different by six months. Yeah, I agree. Okay, I'm listening again. But I told you a minute ago that people thought that Marion's circumstances of disappearance were suspicious, to say the least. Here's what we know. Marion's adult son reported her missing after she disappeared on a shopping trip with him. He and his mother actually lived in Mexico. She just went missing from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. So he and his mother had driven up from San Carlos, Sonora, Mexico, where they lived, to go to Tucson, Arizona to go shopping at Sears, apparently. Okay. I did Google map this route and it's possible Google maps took me to the wrong place in Mexico. But when I typed in Tucson, Arizona to San Carlos, Sonora, Mexico, Google maps said that it was a minimum seven hour drive. And of course an international border crossing to go shopping at Sears. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what to say right now. So you just keep going. So you can see why people are like, this doesn't sound right. But let's keep going. As the son's story goes, he dropped her off at the entrance to Sears, then parked his truck. But when he went into the store after parking, his mother was nowhere to be found. He searched the Sears and the mall it was connected to for six hours before reporting her missing. Whenever she was finally reported missing, police searched really extensively and showed pictures of Marion to a bunch of people in the mall but no one remembered seeing her. Almost as if she had never been at the mall. Okay, maybe Redditors have something going here, maybe? I don't know, six months is a pretty long time still. Yeah, but she was living in Mexico and nobody else reported seeing her before that. And she could have been, like, her son could have been her caretaker, which then would maybe play into the caretaker neglect thing or domestic abuse. I don't know. I'm not trying to make all this fit. No. I'm just presenting this to you as... But also, the son would have had to drive to Wisconsin to do this, which would have been a really, really long drive. But we also know he was willing to drive seven hours for Sears. I know. So... I get that. But... uh, I... I don't know. I still don't think this is it. No. 
But I guess I can kind of see, like, okay, I see how you kind of bent this to make it work in your head. Yeah. I'm still highly skeptical, but I can see how people did this. If you get deep enough into a case and you get so attached, sometimes you just start forming these improbable connections and you just get so invested in it that you can't see the truth anymore. That is so true. I don't put any blame on people for doing that. I know they're trying to help, but I don't think this theory is very likely. No. I think people just got caught up in the Arizona and the dentures thing. So yeah. Yeah. Police did talk to Marion's friends in Mexico, and none of them knew that she was going to Arizona to go shopping. Additionally, when police talked to Marion's friends in Tucson, they all said that none of them were expecting her or her son. And she's never been seen or heard from since. Okay, here's the thing. If they talked to her friends in Mexico, and the date of her disappearance didn't change or anything, then I feel like the timeline's pretty solid. I do too. I don't think this is her. Whether the timeline's off or not which I don't think it is. It might be by a few days, especially if her son had something to do with it. But by six months, I mean, especially if she had friends who were in contact with her. Yeah. Now we're going to move on from those slightly bonkers theories to our final potential match. And this wasn't a match I saw online anywhere. This is just someone I found when I did my own search. And her name is Margaret Ellen Rucker. Margaret was 65 years old when she disappeared from Sacramento, California, sometime around December 7th, 1978, give or take. She was a white woman who was 5'7", 150 to 190 pounds, and she had a scar on her stomach, but it was from an unknown source. Her hair was sandy colored and her eyes were blue. The reason I said Margaret was last seen on or around December 7th is because Margaret's husband was admitted to the hospital for a few weeks around that time. But by the time he was released, Margaret had vanished. So no one knows exactly when she disappeared. Okay. Unfortunately, that's all we know about Margaret at this time. But I think the physical characteristics match what we know about Jane Doe, as well as Oma, at least. Yeah, the geography makes me a little hesitant. Isn't the timeline a little off? Yeah, yeah. The reason the fact that she was from California didn't throw me off too much is because... It's a southwest tip. Well, that and the exclusions, we had several from California. We had one from Maine and Indiana and like all over the place. So no, that's true. But the other thing is, I think it's really likely that Jane Doe knew her killer. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily seem like there was somebody who could have done this crime. But that's just me speculating. We don't know a lot. So who knows? It could very well be her. I don't know. Yeah, those are our... Two potential matches. Two pretty and much then, not matches. And then two pretty much not matches that you will see online. Yeah. Since we've covered potential matches and our theories, all that's left to talk about is what we can do next. We know that genetic genealogy is already being tested, and so far no leads have panned out on her dentures. One thing that I know investigators were trying hard to push for in this case was social media awareness. And I think they have the right idea. I think this case is decently close to being solved, especially considering the dentals and the DNA that we have. It just needs to reach the right people. And social media is a really great way to do this. And it's an underutilized tool sometimes by investigators. The more people read or hear about this Jane Doe's story, the more likely she is to be identified. If you or anyone you know has information relating to the identity or murder of the Vernon County Jane Doe, please contact the authorities and their information is listed on our website, theunnameddoe.com. Additionally, if you know anything about the disappearances of Oma Louise Boardman, Nan Cecile Dixon, 
Mary and Henrietta Bowers, or Margaret Ellen Rucker. That contact information will also be listed on our website. And if you've been enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us get out there more and let people hear these stories more, and that's what we have to do in these cases to get them a step closer to identification. And don't forget, if you want to hear more episodes right now, you can head over to Patreon and unlock one mini-episode and one full episode per month, plus all the episodes we've already published, for just $5 a month. As a reminder, a portion of all proceeds raised on the Patreon are being donated back to organizations working to solve these cold cases. As always, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Unnamed Doe podcast. We'll see you next Tuesday. This episode was researched and written by Madden Delaney. All editing and music was done by Zoe Reese.